and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode we are discussing stained glass windows. So let's get started. Hey Lindsay, uh, again it's one of those things when we think about uh, what we've been talking about, different types of topics and issues. Uh, stained glass windows are one of those things that we see all the time, and I made a similar comment when we were talking a little bit about the tabernacle. It's something that we see all the time, but yet we don't necessarily think about. Part of it is because of cultural changes. Uh, part of it is because uh, churches are, are built in a different style than they were in the, in the past mm-hmm. for lots of different reasons, uh, theologies and such. But so often we do walk into churches and we see these marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, pieces of artwork, you might say. But there was more than just artwork involved here. That actually was a much later recognition when stained glass windows were uh, noted for more than uh, you know, just being part of a storytelling device. But they were actually recognized for the beauty of art itself. And that really wasn't until like the 1500s. Hmm. Uh, so so we're going to talk a little bit about stations today. Uh, no. stations, <laughs> not stations. That's not funny because before we started, I said, <laughs> I keep wanting to say stations. We're going to talk about stained glass windows today. And uh, just to enlighten, there's not... You know, lots of facts and figures, you know, you could go into all sorts of technology about it or technical issues. But I just want to kind of paint with some broad strokes, you might say, uh, of, of, uh, when it comes to um, stained glass windows. One of the things that, that we have to remember is that in the early centuries of the church, the va- vast majority of people were illiterate. They couldn't read. And so they couldn't read the Bible, they couldn't read law books, they couldn't read catechisms, they weren't able to read. And well, and it was, not everyone had books widely well, available to them either. Yes, so, and even if they had, you know. Right. Um, so what we have to remember is that that, that is part of our history, that a huge, uh, huge, huge portion of, of people were not able to read. And yet... The church recognized, you know, the big church recognized how important it was to pass on the faith. How do you do that when you, when the vast majority of your people can neither read nor write? One, you could have had clergy read the entire Bible on on a regular basis. Well, that wasn't very practical because for a good chunk of time, the clergy couldn't read or write either. You know, and in fact, even for the clergy, is that for for a period of time, all a priest needed to do to basically be a priest was to be able to pronounce the words of consecration in order for the Eucharist to be there, and that was it. I mean, it was, again, after a period of time, Trent, Council of Trent being one of those, where the recognition was is that we need to educate the people that are being the priests, that are preaching, that are, you know, be are the spiritual leaders, you might say, because a lot of them weren't exactly, you know, the brightest bulbs in the package mm-hmm. either. Uh, so 
it's it's this whole time saying, okay, how do you do that then? Uh, and and what you do is you have stained glass windows. Pictures. Exactly. These were like the films, <laughs> you might say, of our day. Is that you created pictures and you told the stories. And then what happened every single time, uh, whether you read the Bible stories and they saw it in the window, and there were certain Bible stories that were extremely popular, every time they would hear that story, they would see it in the window so that when they would go into that church, they would be able to tell the story. Tell the story to their children, tell the story to their neighbors, tell the story. It was the way that the church really you know, educated people uh, in the faith, the salvation history, you might say, um, of, of the church, of, of people of faith. Um, and it was these windows that conveyed the ideas, uh, conveyed the concepts uh, to people that, uh, that they would then find in the specific scenes. And, and, and at times, you would find these windows all over the place. I mean, they weren't just big ones. Uh, you talked about windows that were very tiny. Sometimes they were in small, smaller windows or little portals, you might say, is that wherever they could somehow put these, you were probably going to find something that was going to remind people of, 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 of a story of faith and so that, so that they would never, never, never forget these things. So when you think about it, you know, you picture yourself as a, as a very poor uh, person, uh, adult or child, uh, in the Middle Ages. And so you would go to church and, you know, wherever that was, whether in a city, in a small town, or maybe in a rural area. Um, and, and when you would walk into them, because even the smaller churches, you know, would have something. You'd walk into these and there would oftentimes be these marvelous uh, windows that would tell the stories, that would remind them of what it was about, that would elicit questions uh, that people had. And so uh, it was, they, they started to grow and grow in popularity over a good chunk of time. And you didn't even have to walk in because if the church is lit on the inside, you can see it from the outside, what the window is. That is correct. And it, it's, again, the creativity of people. Um, some of these windows, in the sense that you would see one scene from the inside, you would see another scene from the outside. Really? And it's, you know, you think the marvelous, marvelous creativity. Not, not all, and, and that was, you know, an example that, that, you know, that was mentioned, but any way they could, any way they could. And in fact, if a person were wealthy, there are times would be you would find windows in in the main rooms, for example, of of, of a wealthy person's house. Um, you would find them, you know, different places depending upon the the background of a person. You would find these marvelous pictures, uh, oftentimes pictures that were rooted in faith somehow. Uh, maybe they didn't have uh, a person or whatever, but they might have uh, sheep. They might have fish. They might have a rooster. They might have all different things. All of these were symbols of the faith, an anchor. A rooster? A rooster is uh, of the morning, you know, um, when the cock crowing and, and oh, sure. the resurrection day. And, and the rooster was, was one who hailed in the new day and such. So they would be 
uh, a symbol. Hmm. So uh, people were very clever about how they did this. And, and sometimes these things were done in order to confuse or to hide it from uh, authorities and such that were looking for Christian ha- families. I mean, sure, I'd be like, a rooster? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for someone of faith, you know, um, you, you in fact, you know, it's interesting how you'll even um, see it today uh, on bumper stickers. Say, I believe in the fish. Now, you look at that, and the first time I looked at it, I believe in a fish. What the? <laughs> you know, um, well, then, then it dawned on me. Well, of course, it's Christianity. Y- you know, the fish was a symbol of, of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether with loaves of bread, the fish or whatever, people are, are extremely, extremely creative, you mm. know, with, with how all of this was done. Uh, after, you know, after a period of time, you know, when they were thinking about how do we bring these, these biblical stories to life, um, you know, so we, we know that as far back as the 4th century, you know, people were using uh, stained glass windows. Uh, so, the, you know, so it, it's been going on for a long time because that's, that's in the 300s. So people were, you know, obviously they weren't necessarily as sophisticated necessarily. Um, but they were using the concept of, of stained glass. It's around the 12th century that it became, you might say, a legitimate uh, art form. It became known as a way to express, um, to show, to, to elicit from people uh, through, by being a genuine art form, to elicit you know, something on a much higher level, you might say, of, of thinking and reflecting. Um, as is in a number of times, people will tell you that art w- can open some serious and, and, and important doors into the realms of the spiritual, into the realms of, of just people's lives. And it's one of those things where you know great art, you know, when you see it because it, it's it's striking. And, and whether it's, you know, you know the difference between someone who dances and someone who engages in the art form of dance, you know, whether it's ballet, whether it's different kinds of dance or art or, or media, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes necessarily appreciate, you know, all of it. But boy, you know when it's there. It just, it, for me anyway, is that uh, when, when somehow these, these depictions... And, and stained glass windows are no different. These depictions of, of faith and biblical stories and such, it's more than a pretty picture. There is something more that happens to you. And, and that's what was beginning to happen, you know, in the 12th century as it became a, a legitimate art form. And then what also happened, you know, shortly after is that the architectural style that churches were using was called the Gothic style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Gothic style being very tall and huge and massive, and, and you had a lot of space to fill. And much so, our church, right? Yes, that yeah, would be much angels. more Gothic. Yeah. And so what you did is that you filled these spaces. I mean, you had the altar, of course, but the walls, these massive walls and with columns and such, is that... Many of the, the, the massive spaces that had to be filled is that 
uh, windows were placed in those. And, and so it's, it's being able to um, create, you might say, some, uh, some really dynamic um, uh, artistic themes, you know, and there was a dynamism to that. Again, it, was, it wasn't just looking at a pretty window. Uh, how uh, they began to use not only the themes and how these these windows that began first as small became became be massive, the framing of these massive windows, where they would use metals to to just to shore up the window itself because they were so heavy with the lead and everything, not to mention the thickness of the glass. Some of these over time were just kind of, you know, uh, cut out in different ways. But uh, many of the ones original, they, these were these were blown pieces of glass, and because even that made a difference, the techniques of glass making. Uh, the, these windows, each piece was somehow individually made by an artist, and then put together like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know, so paint by numbers. Yeah. So when you when you think about that is that whether they were all glass or whether it was paint on glass or whether it was how the sun would shine through it. Mm -hmm. So they were using all sorts of materials of metal, of glass, of, of light, uh, all sorts of things in order to allow these windows to come alive. And, you know, it certainly, certainly came alive, you know, when you think about um, in so many ways and how even today when you go to... You know, uh, well, people would go to the uh, Notre Dame in 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 Paris. Mm -hmm. um, you know, t just to see these magnificent windows, um, which you know now, hmm. because when Notre Dame is that that's the one that burned. Yeah, is that um, you know all of the windows need to be repaired. You know, and and the painstaking, you know, yeah. uh, work that that takes place in order to allow these windows to. Uh, That's so weird. I was there, and I don't remember windows. <laughs> How could you not remember the windows? I just remember it being, like, dark in there. Hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Okay. The, the windows are, are world-renowned. I mean... Uh, I guess I have to go back to Paris. I, I think you do. Yeah. We're going to have to get you back to Paris so you can, you can check out the windows. Um, so when you look at... We could do a podcast from Paris. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be a lot of fun? Mm -hmm. The um, so when you start to think about you know all of that's taking place here, uh, as I mentioned, you know Notre Dame certainly being that was built in 1345. Um, it has the giant stained glass window that creates the impression of the rose. What they say of a rose of light. I gotta look this. Up. It's um, it is, it is fantastic. Um, it's um, it's oftentimes this window is oftentimes referred to as a window to the heavens. Y you know, um, oftentimes when they talk about, for example, in the Eastern rites, when they talk about icons, mm -hmm. and they will oftentimes refer to icons as windows into heaven, windows into the divine, and so when you when you see an icon, this is more this is not simply about you know somebody's picture on a piece of wood or whatever they put it on this is about creating an opportunity for a religious experience and so when you look at many of these uh windows like at notre dame and and cologne a cathedral in uh cologne germany or different places like that 
is that the, the, the purpose of these was to literally open a person's mind and heart uh, to the presence of God. And, and when, you, when you see them, you know, even if it's only on a picture or whatever, is that, one, you are struck by how incre- the incredible work that it took in order to create these. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, again, with the use of light and, and the images that are there, is that and some of the most beautiful don't have any human figures, you know, at all. Um, maybe that's why it didn't stick <laughs> maybe, in my brain. Is that what you have are, are literally these, these windows, as I said, the windows into the heavens. Mm-hmm. That, that the point was to somehow help a person to exper- experience the divine. Um, so when you think about it, so again, going back to Notre Dame a bit, is that tourists, you know, flock to this place just to to be able to say they saw it. Oh. <laughs> I saw Notre Dame. I don't remember the window. <laughs> you know, again, you'll have to go back. Um, so it, you know, it what it did in so many ways. Again, even in in big churches or little churches, and. When you think about even the stained glass windows in in Holy Angels, uh, the number of people that will come in and simply pray in the presence of, of, of the window, that that the images, that they focus on that. Um, it's, it's nothing against you know anything against that whatsoever. I mean, the whole point of that was to do that. But the windows in Holy Angels are, are rather impressive when mm-hmm. you think about it. Is very pretty. These are magnificent pieces of art. And they do in so many ways uh, what they're intended to do, and that is to be able to bridge that gap between the divine and human. Again, the same thing that icons do, mm-hmm. or what they call in the uh, Eastern rites also what they refer to as triptychs, the, the three, with the three sections. These are to bridge the gap between human and divine. And whether it's a window, a statue, or whatever, good religious art, not the cheap stuff, good religious art will bridge that gap to the divine. And it will carry us in a way. We may not realize it at first, but in many ways it will carry us into the realms of the divine. It can calm fears. It can bring solace in the midst of pain. It can help people to center and focus so that they can be led by the Spirit to be guided uh, in, in a whole new way where the Spirit maybe wants them to go. Um, this, I think this is one of the reasons when you, when you think about the churches. And, and again, part of it is the theology of a church. Sometimes some of the churches that we built more recently, um, sometimes they lack what I would say great art. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a window. But there should be great art in a church. And part of that is to, you know, when you, when you just, um, not when, you, when you build something cheap, is that, uh, it speaks of kind of sometimes uh, th- where people's faith lives it can be, you know, when you're just looking at it cheap. And, you know, and it's also when you think about 
where is great art now found? And and maybe it's also maybe it also recognizes the fact that sometimes we have gods that are different other than true God, and they're found great art is at times found in banks, found in great buildings, hotels, um, and and sometimes at times we have lost the need for great art in our churches. That and a willingness to spend money on great art. I mean, even in even in the ancient times, if you were going to have a piece of great art, you were not going to just you know throw a tomato at them and saying, "Here, take this for my great art." <laughs> Is that it was going to cost? And when you think about even like again, holy angels, what it must have cost people, yeah, to put all of that together, there was a real sense of sacrifice. Um, sometimes. That's not present quite so much these days. And, and, and the question will be, um, how can we do it the cheapest? Not how... Most economical. Cheapest. <laughs> how do we do it most economically rather than what is a great piece of art that will move the souls and the hearts of the people who gather? Something well, frankly, and unfortunately, we're building more banks and whatever, and closing more churches. So. Yeah, yeah, you know uh, that's true, and and part of it is that you know we got into this idea that we had to build a church at every block, and you know on every uh, for every ethnic group and for every cause or every reason, as opposed to to really thinking you know ahead mm -hmm. and saying that oh, wow, um, where where do we need one? Not where just do we want to plant one, and um, but that's a whole other discussion, and, and I'm sure <laughs> lots of people would disagree with me, but I think that sometimes we need to f reframe sometimes our, uh, our places of worship with great art. Yeah? And, and what's interesting, too, is that, uh, for example, there are companies, and T.H. Uh, Stemper, uh, one of the companies in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. I know that they have a, a warehouse to where some of the buildings at churches that were closed, um, they would take... The, the stained glass windows out, hmm. you know. Now, sometimes you have cheap stained glass windows too. Um, and, I, and I don't want to give the impression just because it may be more economical, it doesn't necessarily have, can't move people. Of course it can. Great art tends to do that for more people than necessarily, you know, economical art. But what they would do is that they would take these magnificent pieces and, and they have a warehouse where they store some of this. And, uh, and some of the, the statuary, um, some of the appointments you might say for churches that really are of great value. Mm -hmm. And where some of, for example, the altars uh, that were made out of white marble or alabaster and, and you know, these things are, they do disassemble. I mean, you mm -hmm. got to put it together like a puzzle. But there is a, I would say, in many ways, there's a reclaiming of, of some of these beautiful, beautiful uh, works of art. There's a reclaiming of it, and it's being used in many, many ways in some of the newer churches, again, um, because it has been known to really move people spiritually. Um, what the um, Eucharistic Chapel at St. Francis Seminary uh, is a, a beautiful uh the altar in it is a beautiful altar that was taken from one of the uh, one of the other churches in Milwaukee that was eventually closed. Um, 
and it's it's absolutely stunning. It's just gorgeous. Uh, it was it was disassembled and placed in storage for a while, and eventually it was put back in in this. It was put in the seminary as the altar for the Eucharistic chapel. I think I think sometimes those are are great ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, reclaiming sometimes the heritage of. Um, uh, of of peoples and cultures and the artisans uh, of of so many whether it's you know the Polish the German the Italian uh, you know you can name the Hmong uh, you know you can name so many so many peoples that have these marvelous artisans and it's it's making sure reclaiming that artwork and making sure that peoples and their heritage and such are are represented. You see that in stained glass windows too, uh, where any number of them, depending upon the ethnic background, uh, the cultural background, is that it will be represented in ways, uh, in in you know, as far as uh, how it's made, uh, the people, characters in it. Uh, oftentimes, you know, sometimes the uh, art would have, let's say, the face of the pastor of the church who put it in and would be part of the crowd, maybe. Or it might be one Are of... Are you anywhere? Uh, no. Okay. Trust me. It might be one of the... Uh, it might be a, a member of a parish family, let's say, that donated huge amounts, uh, that somehow they would become like part of the crowd of people gathered in a church. That's the back of my head there. Yeah. So it's... You know, in other times, that's not even an issue mm-hmm. or it's not included. It a lot depends on 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 the on the people and in the church and and so many so many other things uh, as to how these are um, how these are are put together. So some of them, you know, really are uh, quite unique and and speaks of of a heritage and again speaks of folks, you know. And when people would see that, they would be reminded not necessarily who may have donated it, but mm-hmm. may be reminded of a of a very renowned pastor, may be reminded of a bishop, may be reminded of a saint that that maybe was a saint, you know, a living saint, you might say. But these are uh, these windows speak on so many, so many levels. Mm-hmm. And even uh, doing a little studying from the book or the article that was put together for Holy Angels, you begin to see some of the background that went into these mm-hmm. and and how. Uh, they have spoken. Um, when you compare the, the churches, for example, of Holy Angels and St. Francis Cabrini, very different styles, very different theologies between the two. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, uh, Holy Angels was built in the early 1915, and Cabrini was built in the 1960s, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking after the council. So there's lots of things. Both have a beauty to them. Mm-hmm. Um, just in a different way, mm-hmm. just in a different way. So it's, again, the whole point was to connect, you know, people to um, to the divine, you know, as opposed to just making a pretty window or just somehow, you know, uh, you know, somehow just filling up space. Yeah. Um, the, um, at different times, you know, different rules and regulations, um, you know, governed some of these things, and and part of it was the bishop of the time, and so it was to bring a focus. Um, it was to bring a focus, you might say, uh, on the things of God and the things of our faith. And sometimes 
we can lose that. Even in our places of worship, we can lose some of that. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about where some of this came from, you recognize that Jesus himself used all sorts of images when he told stories. Uh, he would use images of, of the shepherd and the sheep. He would use images of the sower of the seed. He would use images of, of kings and, and lamps and virgins and, and all sorts of stuff. You know, p things that, that people could relate to and, and, and grab mm -hmm. onto. Um, so when you think about it is that, you know, that was, it was to make, it was to make the faith in so many ways incarnational. Our faith is not some sort of just spiritual head trip. It's incarnational, flesh and blood. Jesus was true God and true man, human person. Uh, and so when you think about the faith and how it's, uh, how it's uh, expressed and such, not only do you have you know, beautiful pieces of art and imagery, but the rituals themselves uh, taught, you might say, without speaking a word. One of my professors in, uh, in the seminary would oftentimes say, if you have good ritual, you don't need a lot of words with it at all. <laughs> good ritual will say exactly what it needs to say without using a lot of words. We can tend to be very wordy. We can tend to be very wordy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we lose the significance of good ritual. Well, you got to have a prayer here. No, you really don't. Maybe all you need is incense. Maybe all you need is a candle. Maybe all you need are flowers or whatever put in a significant place. You don't necessarily need lots of words. Stained glass windows, you know, helped the faith become incarnational. You go to rural areas and those windows of many times will depict fields and, and pastoral scenes. Uh, agriculture uh, and images from the Bible that spoke of agriculture, Cain, Abel, all of that. Uh, you go into an urban setting and it speaks more of maybe city scenes. People needed to I be able to identify what, what, with what was in those windows. Makes sense. And so, again, they, they connected um, people to their faith. Um, obviously, the... Uh, <clears throat> The principal matter, now, most Christian churches do use, um, you know, stained glass windows somehow. You know, whether, not only Catholics. I mean, this isn't just our thing. It's really a, a very much a Christian thing. Not all, but many, many, particularly the mainstream uh, Christian traditions use stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. Catholic uh, churches, Catholic tradition will have different things in their windows that other mainline churches wouldn't necessarily have. Mainline churches would certainly have, uh, you know, some of the images of the Old Testament, of course, Abraham, David, uh, the prophets, uh, Cain, Abel, Adam, Eve, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but Catholic windows and Catholic stained glass windows, you know, they become a little bit more focused again, depending upon sometimes the background, depending upon the name of the church. Um, they can become a little bit more focused. So, uh, so what we tend to, you know, as Catholics and such, um, we tend to focus very much on the life of Jesus 
and people that were connected with them, of course. Um, also, we do have, you know, some of the, um, the uh, you have, for example, the, uh, the apostles. You will have uh, some of the things that stained glass artwork from will have an emphasis sometimes on the Blessed Mother, uh, Stations of the Cross. Some of those things, though, are pretty pretty Catholic in, in, in <laughs> origin. So, they, you know, they're not, um, you're not going to have um, necessarily some of our Protestant churches have a stained glass window based on the theme of Mary. True. Generally not going to happen. Um, what's interesting, going back a little bit, when you talk about education and such and the recognition, it was in the, in the mid-1500s uh, with the this Council of Trent. Again, it's strange how sometimes the church has, when you look at the history, how, how we have pointed toward things that at times we think are brand new today. And well, but, but, but when you've been around several couple of thousand years, there's not a whole lot that's brand new necessarily. Uh, there's been maybe a reemphasis. But what, what the Council of Trent did was that it, it addressed the role of sacred art. I mean, it really, it spoke of the, the, uh, the images they say ought to be born in mind. Sacred art? Art. Oh, I thought yeah. you said sacred heart. No, no, art. The sacred, sacred heart comes later. <laughs> sacred, uh, sacred art. art. Got sacred it. art, A-R-T, is that uh, it says these images ought to be born in mind and constantly reflected upon. That was the role of sacred art. <laughs> and windows were included in this. Um, the um, uh, so it it included you know like I said not only windows but it, it included lots of different things the physical again incarnational pieces of this um, and so it, there was the the sense that sense that as popes have have uh, done through the centuries is that the the church needs art as we talked a bit about before it's what helps to bridge between the the human and divine it it helps to communicate the message. It helps people to reflect on on sacred on sacred things. So uh, you might say it it has the capacity, as it said here, is that it has the capacity uh, to take uh, color and shapes and sounds and and transport us to a new realm, to another level. And and that's already being talked about, you know, in Trent. You know, which was like wow. Now. Talking about, you know, sacred art, <laughs> one of the themes that is very much specifically Catholic is, is the, uh, the sacred heart of Jesus. <laughs> oh, you okay? weren't joking. That comes later. Yeah. Okay, got it. The sacred heart of Jesus uh, became, and, and also, uh, the immaculate heart of Mary. Uh, these were kind of a, a, a team, you might say. And the sacred heart of Jesus was really, it's, it was about God's love for us. It was about humanity. It was about divinity. It, it often depicts somehow, you know, the heart being very uh, visible and in some ways very uh, depicted, not in just, you know, kind of idyllic heart shape that we kind of think it was almost like the shape of a human heart and with, you know, the veins and stuff running through it, is that it depicted, you know, the uh, the love of the Lord. It depicted the willingness to sacrifice, um, the connectedness to the human person, and, and in many similar ways, the immaculate heart of Jesus. And you had huge devotions 
both to the Sacred Heart and, you know, there was a, a group that you could become a member of the, you know, of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Uh, and then there was the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, these were, uh, in many ways, um, different things that were oftentimes, you know, uh, depicted in, uh, in stained glass. Uh, and it was a way to teach, you know, about Jesus. It was a way to teach about the respect we had, the honor we had, the, the adoration of, uh, and it was a way to teach about uh, Mary, that, you know, she was, again, she is human, um, and how through her love, her respect, honor for her, that it, it, it could take us to another realm, you might say. Um, and it's not somehow, you know, floating in space. It's about centering on the divine and allowing God to speak to us in whole new ways. Uh, so this, these are specifically things that a lot of times are part of the, uh, um, you know, Catholic mm -hmm. tradition. Uh, the um, so whether it's the Immaculate Heart of Mary or you know different scenes of Mary that we find within the scriptures or that are part of the um, you know the legends that surround so much of that. Um, some of the uh, apocryphal, uh, as opposed to apocalyptic, apocryphal <laughs> literature that that told the stories of Mary and such, whether her her, uh, her young years or you know after after the resurrection of Jesus. Some of these are much more uh, specifically you'll find in Catholic churches, which which makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, also, you'll have. Uh, more where where you have the uh, the Holy Family um, again depicted. One of the things too that we have that is more specifically Catholic is really the lives of the saints. Um, it's, it's sometimes it's it's based on the the name of the saint that uh, uh, that the church is named after. Sometimes it will be part of the heritage of a culture. Uh, so, for example, if it were a church that were um, basically of Irish people, they would have St. Patrick. Church wouldn't have to be named St. Patrick, but it's an Irish church. you got to have St. Patrick. Um, and, and you could use any of the, any of the different uh, ethnic backgrounds, and you would have a particular saint uh, because of, of, of how it's connected to that ethnicity. How it's connected, you know, to the the faith life and the, and the pieties, you know, and it's found, you know, in, in the windows. And they might have a scene of, you know, of Teresa of Avila and then have different depictions of her life. Again, it's not adoration to saints. It's recognizing how this saint, this person whom we honor and revere, their example, their prayer, um, their mission or works, how it is a, uh, a real example to all of us of how we can live and, and are invited to live if we are to be uh, disciples of Jesus. So stained glass windows, again, have an awful lot to offer all of us if we take a little time to think about it. Uh, and, and sometimes, really, that's all it takes is, is being able to draw uh, some of those depictions. You, you know, you think about, for example, even with holy angels, you know, we talk about the name is Holy Angels, and there are all sorts of depictions, 
you know, of holy angels from the very beginnings as we had a con- we were having a conversation before uh, at lunch and we were talking about depictions of angels. And, and you have everything from, you know, kind of like the Hulk on steroids, you know, the original depictions of angels. Mm-hmm. They were not good looking. They were not, you know, small. They were These were hulking behemoths, well armed, and these were the protectors. These were the, the guards against the gates of hell, you might say. And then from everything to, you know, much more you know, traditional things that we think about today. You have the cherubs. You have all sorts of things. But when you think about it, it's that each of us in our own right, whether we find it in a statue or a window, each of us in our own right can sometimes relate to one or the other. Sometimes we need somebody who's our protector. And so we call them guardian angels. We need to know that God is there. Sometimes we just need someone to listen to, uh, to listen to us. So the um, how these things are depicted can make a huge difference into how we experience the presence of God in our lives. And stained glass windows play a lot in that. I would love to see how they're being made. You know, go into a, a production place where they're loved to be made. Just that's just more of That'd my interesting. yeah my type of thing with that. But again, when you see these windows. They, they, they can take your breath away. Mm-hmm. They, they can make you gasp. And uh, they also, as I said, they can open some windows into the divine. Marvelous thing, stained glass windows. It's interesting you were saying that stained glass windows, you know, help tell the story. And so just going off the ones we have in church, I often wonder, you know, you have the nativity on one side and then the other side's Jesus in the temple. And that's such a a small story. I wonder why they picked that for the huge window on the opposite side of the nativity. You know, if you could only go back and ask the question. You know, and that would be the thing. You know, so often these things are done, but necessarily how decisions were made were not necessarily written down. Mm-hmm. And that would sometimes, as you were referring to, that would be a fascinating story, you might mm-hmm. say, of how they determined that, how they decided that. Um, some in some churches sometimes you know the, a little bit more of the history is actually written down. Uh, it's it's marvelous to be able to read some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's based on the donor and sometimes not or whatever. But you're right. You wonder how did they how did they choose that for this massive you mm-hmm. know space? I mean, it's um, a beautiful window and yes. has so much color. I would definitely encourage people, even if you've seen the windows a million times. Really yeah. take a look at them because they have such vibrant colors, and some of the fabrics on the on the different characters, like you mm-hmm. can, f- looks like you could feel them or like what they would look like, and they're really, like there's stuff written on the scroll that Jesus is holding yes. in the, and it's just very they're beautiful. So we have them on our website, too, so you can always go there oh, or, okay. or come to the church. Um, but also, if you turn around and look up in the balcony, there's another stained glass yes. window, which is kind of flowery and like a big circle, much like Notre Dame. And, and it's interesting, too, if you notice sometimes what the flower is or what the plant might be. That can all have religious significance. Hmm. And sometimes, you know, when I look at these windows, I say, oh, there's, well, there's a lily there. And why is that lily there? Or it's a kind of vine. What kind of vine is it? 
and and it's when you start to look at some of the background, these things were not put there by accident. Mm -hmm. These symbols, these types of uh, vegetation, uh, flora, fauna, is that these these spoke to, of faith. And you were talking about when you're looking at some of the windows. I find that when I look at them at different times, I notice something different. Yeah. You know, I notice something different that I didn't notice that before. Maybe an expression, maybe who the character that might be there or mm -hmm. whatever, is that uh, they always speak on different levels in different ways. Yeah. So. Well, go look at our stained glass or any stained glass. Yes. You will enjoy it. I think we're going to leave it there for today. You can reach out to us at holyangelswb at gmail.com. Send us a note, say hi, whatever. Um, we hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time. <laughs>